Hello and welcome to Bankers.dev episode number one, two, three. Chris, would you like to take, to take a guess as to what the file extension is for the Lotus one, two, three software program? Is it dot one, two, three? It can be, oh. but the more popular extension is WK one. Oh, all right. But I thought it was cool that it could be one, two, three. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, something just you, came out. Do you out. know what? Oh, go, go ahead. That that has a file file extension of dot flame emoji. Have you seen yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the Python alternative. It's like way yeah. faster. Yeah. I he had an interview on Lex Friedman, and he was talking about uh, how it, it that like having a uh, an emoji as a file extension is actually just supported by default most places, but it's still broken in some places. So there's like a backup extension yeah. you can use that's that's the same sort of thing. But yeah, I thought that was really cool that we're in this Unicode age where. Yeah, you can have yeah. the fire emoji as, as the extension. How do you think people type that? Do you do they open up the emoji thing and say and search for fire every time, or do you set up a Maybe. keyboard shortcut? I don't know, actually. <laughs> yeah, you can I also set probably... up emojis as uh, variable names, which I've never used. Uh, it seems really yeah. obnoxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does seem really obnoxious. Uh, I feel like yeah. Zoomer you, programmers you... might start doing that. And... <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. I have a quick cool. fun fact about Lotus One Two Three. Do you know what Lotus Great. One Two Three is? It's like the original word processor, right? Not where I also thought it was the word processor. Yeah, it's the original. Oh, uh, uh, oh and it's not even the original. It's the original. Uh, uh, <laughs> I just said the thing that I just said it wasn't. It's uh, overtook VisiCalc as the uh, most popular spreadsheet, spreadsheet uh, yeah. uh, program, which that then makes sense. eventually makes got sense. overtaken by Excel. And this was in uh, the 1980s, released on January 26, 1983, uh, originally from IBM. So, like, VisiCalc was this Apple II thing that they ported yeah. over to other systems, but they, they weren't very good ports. So when Lotus 123 came out and said, hey, we support all the stuff that the IBM does, apparently they had really good marketing behind it also. They uh, blew VisiCalc out of the water. It was marketed as a three-in-one integrated solution. Would you like to take a guess as to what the three, and that's where the one, two, three comes from. Would you like to take a guess uh, as to what the three integrated solutions of Lotus one, two, three are? I don't know. Math, accounting. I don't know. <laughs> that, those are use cases. What do you like from, oh. in terms of what it can do? What are the, what are the three solutions of like the, it's, it's capacity. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was funny. Well, one of them obviously is uh spreadsheet calculations. Okay. And then the other one is database functionality, yeah. which is questionable because, you know, sure. the, the application itself takes up a bunch of memory. And yeah, so on Wikipedia, they were kind of trashing it for that. And the third is graphical charts. And those were three distinct enough features that it, it named the program that it can do these three distinct things. Uh, how far we've come <laughs> application design now where that's just like table stakes. Like if you're, right. you know, when Airtable came out. Well, of course it can do calculations. Of course it can operate as a database. Of course it can do spreadsheets. Like, well, what else? You know, give me give me more stuff. Uh, and now, you know, if if you had a similar naming convention for something like Airtable, you would name it, you know, Airtable numbers one through four hundred or something. Uh, right. Yeah. All right. That's my fun fact. We can fun fact is over. We can now we can now uh, talk about things that our listeners are actually interested in. Chris, what did you get up to this last week? Uh, more stuff our listeners may or may not be interested in. Uh, I, <laughs> it's the summer, so I like I'm working and then doing lots of other stuff that is not work and not anything related to the stuff we've been talking about. Really, um, 
I have multiple trips coming up to visit family and then uh, Iceland, which I've been talking about for a bit. Because of that, I have been learning Milky Way and Aurora Borealis photography. Cool. Um, not to get my hopes up because it could be just raining the whole time we're there. Um, but if uh, if a clear night presents itself, then I want to be ready. So um, it's a significantly different um, method of photography. Like you have to worry a lot more about light gathering and uh, you need a tripod for just about everything. Mm. And you have to process your images in a different way. Um, so interested to learn more about that. I, I have made a checklist for myself since it's so different. I have to like, okay, make sure it's manual exposure and make sure <laughs> I change my white balance and make sure I do all these things. Um, yeah, so I've, I've been doing that, which is interesting. Um, just out of frame here is a Samsung frame TV. Uh, that's another interesting experiment I'm working on. Um, I put it up on a wall. I have like a bunch of pictures of my family and stuff. And this frame TV is a matte finish and it comes or you can buy frames for it. So it looks like a piece of art and it really does actually on the wall. But I found when I put it next to other frames, it looks enough, not like a picture huh. that it was distracting. Uh, so now it's in my office. Um, okay. <laughs> and so as a, as a purely self, uh, self-indulgent uh, exercise i'm going to put my photography on my frame tv and hang it in my office so i can look at my own photos love uh, it and I, I actually struggled with that a little i was like isn't this like purely self-indulgent right like i said <laughs> uh and i like that's okay like people have yeah. hobbies that are completely for yourself and that uh is perfectly valid i think so absolutely yeah, yeah just doing it because you enjoy it i, I have several follow-up things uh the obvious solution first of all to uh, the the Samsung frame TV and not matching your picture frames is just to replace all of your picture frames with Samsung frame TVs. Uh, I, I, I didn't that. think of that. <laughs> oh, frame okay. TVs. This is a 32 inch TV that costs five hundred dollars, which is like four and a half times more than other 32 inch TVs. Yeah, oof. and and it's because of the matte finish um, and, and the uh, the frames you can put around it. Um, but uh, I didn't want to buy several five hundred dollar. <laughs> tvs absolutely yeah that'd be ridiculous <laughs> i'm curious if the matte finish is uh if you, if you could just buy a matte finish like cover for regular displays that's a good 400 dollars question um i i don't know I, I know you can buy i i know you can obscure like like it, you can buy essentially tracing paper like stuff mm -hmm. in varying opacities but i think it would just obscure it too much like um i think it would kind of blur the image which sort of defeats the purpose mm -hmm. um I wonder though, I've taken apart a TV before, a broken one. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can replace the front bit with something that's more matte. Yeah, yeah. I or do something to, to the front, like take a really fine like grit of sandpaper to it, it or, or something. something. Yeah. I don't know. That'd be interesting. Interesting uh, to look up. Um, I'd be so so the that. other reason you pay five hundred dollars actually is uh, when you mount it on the wall. Most TVs they stand out from the wall a little, and mm. they have cables that run and whatever. This one mounts completely flush to the wall, like mm. actually flush. Um, and the cables are all routed in like inside the bit that's mounted to the, so when you mount it, it looks great compared to mm. uh, a TV that sticks out from the wall. Cool. So you'd have to figure that out too. But. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's some sort of a creative solution here of like, oh, there's this really good YouTube channel that does things along this line called, uh, technology connections or something. That's not right. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's another one. That's a guy who he, does extremely deep dives into very yeah, interesting things. I love that one too. He just came up with this yeah. hour long video about a refrigerator, <laughs> yep. not refrigerators, a refrigerator. He has yep. an hour long video about this particular refrigerator. Uh, yeah, Are that one's great too. The guy who like made his own projector. Yeah. And, mold. Yeah. Steve mold. I think is that, is that the one? That may I be think so. One. I, I, we, I think we may not be linked in the, in the description. Uh, um, but he, yep. 
I, I, I imagine there might be some sort of a creative solution here where like you buy used displays from broken laptops on eBay, which are mm -hmm. going to cost nothing. You, you like buy the broken laptop, but knowing that it has a working display. And then you take that display, which is super tiny and compact and something, something, put a frame around it, figure out the flat mounting to it, and then put the, the matte finish on it. And now that's like a DIY uh, uh, photo frame that could be made for a lot of labor, but, but also, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I could imagine something like under $40 in parts. Um, yeah. I feel that, like that would be interesting like would be possible. You, yeah. If you got the matte finish, right. Cause I think that's really key. Like when I put it up next to my other TV, like it really does make a big difference in looking like a picture instead of a TV. Mm. So that would be the key challenge. I think there's two other things I wanted to ask you about. The first one is I'm curious. I love that this is a self-indulgent hobby, like a, a thing that you're doing just for fun and embracing that. Like, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great thing to have in your life. Um, and I love that you have this TV now as like an outlet for it because now there's a there's an end state to the pipeline of taking a photo you're not just saying okay i'm yeah. spending all this work learning how to photograph the aurora borealis so that the photo can rot <laughs> on my sd card for yeah, for six exactly. years uh you you can imagine the future of like oh this will be so nice when it's uh on my fancy samsung frame tv what other outlets like that do you have do you do you have a habit of printing photo books do you uh have like a, a Flickr or an instagram account where this is getting posted to yeah, no. So I do print a pretty decent amount of photos. They're mostly family photos, like with people in them. And that's mm -hmm. what we hang on the wall that I was talking about. Um, uh, as a side note, I just changed that wall to, it used to have frames. Everything was in frames, but it's like really annoying to like swap out photos and frames. Mm -hmm. So I use these Ikea picture shelves. And now what I'm going to start doing is I bought a bunch of map board and uh, you can self adhere the pictures to the map board so it's basically now like a thick picture mm. and then you just stack them up on top of each other so when you want to switch pictures you just switch it they're like in a stack on these on these little shelves um oh hold on that, that i want to do exactly what you just said run me through that again there's an ikea okay. an ikea frame that can hold multiple of these boards not, not a frame it's just a shelf okay it's built for photos okay um, it has it's, it's a shelf that's pretty pretty thick and it has another ridge in it so that your photo sort of leans against the wall okay and you can put frames in it but what I'm doing is I'm taking the 8x10 print that we yes. get from Shutterfly. You can buy 8x10 map board off Amazon, pre-cut, or you can cut your own. It's cheaper, but then you need a map cutter. Uh, and then you just use self-adhesive spray glue, stick the thing, and now you have a map board-sized or map board si thickness picture. Yes. So it can stand up, right, with no frame. Yes. Now you take those and you put, you know, several to a stack and you put those on the little shelves. And then whenever you get kind of tired of looking at one picture, you just switch it to the back and you have a continually rotating wall of pictures. I love that. Where did you, did you make that up? Where'd you get that idea? Uh, as I, I think I made it up. <laughs> it could have been a, uh, <laughs> I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, so maybe someone did it. I don't know, but uh, I, yeah, I, I think, think I, I want to do exactly that. Cause I, yeah. I, uh, I, I found a sort of solution for this. There was a, a service where, you just upload a bunch of photos to it and then it'll print them out on foam that are like self adhering to the wall. Oh yeah. Um, and I love those cause like you don't need to worry about framing it or, or damaging your wall. You just take it and I give it to Sarah for either Valentine's day or her birthday. I don't remember. And, uh, no, I think it was Valentine's day. And, uh, I, I just gave her like this giant stack of these foam things. We're like, here's your gift. I'll figure out yeah. where to hang them. <laughs> and, uh, she just like peeled off the adhesive on the back and stuck on the wall. And then we have all these beautiful photos all over the house. So, but so, I'm so just do exactly, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say just do exactly that, but don't peel off the adhesive. <laughs> just put them on these photo shelves. 
Oh, that could also work. Well, I like yours better because now I'm just paying for the printout of the eight by ten instead that's of a lot cheaper. You know, this the, for the for the phone. It was still really cheap. It was it was you know that that's why I like the solution. I was able to get something like twenty of them for something like one hundred and fifty dollars. So something like oh. eight dollars per thing. The, uh, the way but, I do it, wait for a Shutterfly sale, and they're under a dollar a photo. Beautiful. Yeah, and then it's just the the uh, card stock. What'd you say that the backing was? Mapboard. So it's the thing you normally put on top of the photo in a frame and like it has a cutout, but you can buy just solid sheets of it. Yeah. Eight by 10, a pack of those is $10. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Um, You you can also just go to the dollar store and buy foam board if you want slightly thicker and uh, you can buy a dollar would cover like eight pictures, I think. So, okay. 12, 12 and a half cents a picture. Yeah. Yeah, and then if I'm doing it in bulk, that might actually make sense. Uh, what I've noticed about doing it my way, now that these pictures have been up there for a while, is I'm getting sick of them. <laughs> See <laughs> yep. the same? <laughs> and it's like the same things that I'm noticing. And like there's this one, there's this one in our bathroom. That's this beautiful memory of us uh, right after we got engaged. That's I'm I'm just like staring at it the whole time. I'm brushing my teeth and flossing. And I've noticed now, like, uh, my hair is messy, like, in the spot. Like, <laughs> uh, my face looks a little puffy. Was I, like, especially tired that day when we were taking this? And I'm just, and I have, I have that same series of thoughts every single time I brush my teeth. Yeah. And so I'm done with that one. I want a new one. I want to be able to take yeah. that and just bloop it to the back and, and have a new one in, in rotation. Uh, yeah, that, I love that. I love that uh, solution. And that's so much cheaper than having a Samsung frame there, right? Yeah. And then I, I mean, o- over time it gets, you know, $500, but you can print 500 photos for right, $500. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, certainly for like the, the total number of photos and flexibility. Yeah. But that's like a premature optimization problem, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I like this much better, especially for like Sarah and I are about to have a daughter in October and yep. we're going to have a whole bunch of cute photos of her. Yeah. I, I like your solution so much better. What's yeah. the name of the Ikea shelf thing? Do you uh, know? Just look for Ikea picture shelf. It has a Swedish name, but yeah. Ikea picture You can get them in white or black and a couple different lengths. Uh, Um, You you can also save money by making those yourselves. I mean, they're like, it's like three pieces of wood or two if you cut it. So uh, you have a table saw, right? So you could absolutely make that yourself too if you wanted. That's a really good idea. It's just like a, it's like a U shape. Yep. And the the taller end goes to the wall. Yeah. Mosslanda is $19 for one of them. Is that is that what I'm looking yeah, at? Yeah, that's oh, and I see the four, ridge. Foot, four foot version. Just four um, foot long. 45 and a quarter. Is that 45 inches long? Yeah, 45 inches. Okay. Yeah. I think, oh, and there's a cheaper one for $10 that's shorter. Which is yeah. half the size. Yep. I think I want to order one of these, and then I want to make it myself, because I have a table saw. Yeah, perfect. Wow, what a great idea. I'm so happy I asked you that question. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> then we just like have, you know, there's spots in our house where we want yeah. a picture to be. And then just have a pipeline of like, oh man. And if I'm if I'm from Shutterfly ordering 8x10s and they have specials where they're 10 cents each, I would spend so much less time thinking about does this photo deserve to be on the wall or not? I'd just be like, yeah, probably. And then exactly. I'd print it out. And then once I got it, I would need to, like you have to do some work to do the spray glue stuff and put it on the... Oh, you just said the word for it. Uh, Matte board. Matte board. Yes. Or foam board if you want thicker. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I like matte board better because then you can have more more pictures mm-hmm. in the in the frame. But then, yeah, once I've if if I've 
you know, how long does that take to spread the thing on and, and put the paper yeah, down? No, I'm sure I'm going to mess that up <laughs> a lot, but uh, that's fine. Sure. Um, yeah, no, man, I love that solution. That's such a good solution to this problem. And that's, a, that's, ah, like, I want you to make money from this. So like you're, you're solving <laughs> the problem that people buy those $500, uh, Sam's like to use for. So, so that I want you to make money from this. So I keep having that thought with my, with my photography and like, um, so, so this week, especially I'm looking at these lenses that are going to be really good for, for photographing the Milky Way or the Auroras and I could buy them. They're rather expensive or I could rent them. It'd be like 200 bucks to rent for my trip to Iceland, but if, mm. like I could buy one used and sell it and then make, you know, like, like if I really wanted to, and it would cost less than 200. So I'm like, maybe I'll do that anyway. And then I'm like, well, if I have this big wide angle lens anyway, I could do like real estate photography. Uh, you know, like most of the expenses is the, uh, camera and the lens I'm about to buy and right. then you just do it. And, and then I'm like, I would hate that like photography so much more if it was a job. <laughs> <laughs> and so just like you said, like, yeah, it'd be great if I could make money out of stuff like that, but it's a terrible idea. <laughs> This, this is I a, went through this exact yeah. same thought process with drone photography. I was yeah between two drones, one of them was like I don't know eight hundred, and the other one was like fifteen hundred. And I was thinking, well, if I'm making money from this drone, then it's a business expense. Yep. And then I researched there's there's stock footage websites where you can upload your footage and yep. sell it. And uh, as soon as I got in, I, like I I spent like two days researching possible ways I could make money from it before I got to the point where I realized oh wait then this would just be a job and yep. it wouldn't be fun anymore and i can totally see the game of what i would need to do to be good at it and i don't want to do those things i like it's it's fun for me to just whip out a drone and for some vacations have the school aerial footage of where i was but uh yeah the the marginal work of making money from it sucks the fun out of it and then i'd have to be taken more seriously and then it's another background process that would just be constantly going yeah. of that I don't want to have space for. I want to have like one or two things that I'm focused on of, okay, these are the ways that I'm making money and then have fun exploring time outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Uh, I'm curious about the process of doing the Aurora Borealis photography. Mm -hmm. I imagine it's just long exposure on a tripod. Is it more complicated than that? It is because the Aurora Borealis moves a lot. And if you do long exposure, like you might for the Milky Way, mm -hmm. then you kind of ruin the effect. So, yeah, you have to uh, be more clever than that. What um, camera are you using to do this? For this, I'll be using my Sony a7 III, which okay. is not the absolute best camera, but it's it's pretty good. Sony cameras can, like, see in the dark, essentially. They, they have amazing ISO performance, like, amazingly low no noise. Mm -hmm. um, they're also ISO invariant. Uh, which is something that's important, which I won't explain, but it means better noise performance. Um, and I, yeah, so I could buy the latest one, but I'm not going to. I already have this one. It's great. Uh, but the lens I want is another $1,500 if I buy it. And so that's where I'm like, eh. I have a lens that'll do it. That was $200, but it's not as good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so you want uh, basically a huge lens that gets extremely, uh, so extremely fast shutter speed or sorry extremely um large aperture mm -hmm. which ends up giving you a faster shutter speed for the amount of light you want to collect and uh yeah and then you just got to make all your settings set correctly also focusing is a big deal you can accidentally miss focus on like all your images and you won't be able to tell till you get it back to a computer mm. um so that's a big deal too um yeah just lots of little things it's, it's very finicky to get right i have two things from that the first is could you buy the lens used? Because like, how many times are you going to go to Iceland? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, 
use it and then sell it used for what you bought it for yeah so that's what i was saying i could rent it for 200 dollars for two weeks okay or i could buy or i could do the same i could buy it used and then sell it again i'd probably it probably cost me about $200 on the seller fee, you know, to, to do that, but sure. I could keep it for as long as I wanted before I sold it. So yeah, I, I could do that. Okay. Yeah. It's also kind of a pain to sell stuff and just have it floating around. I have a pile of junk right by my yeah, desk of exactly. stuff that I've been trying to move on Facebook marketplace. Yeah. It's, it's exactly. like work to do this. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, now. Like, I'm enjoying parts of it, but yeah, then yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a little bit like a job. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or I could just buy it and keep it. And, uh, pretend like i'm gonna do more milky way photography yeah uh, you know and then 10 years from now pick it up and be like oh i should have sold this because now there's new cameras and this isn't worth really what it was when i, yeah, exactly. when I bought it I, I could also just use my older lens like i have a 200 dollars lens that is kind of almost as good mm. um there are some particular things wrong with it that i that are reasons why i want the other one but like it would work um so i don't know i don't know why i can't just get myself to just be like i have the lens i'll just use that one uh, yeah, I, don't know. I think you should get the best lens <laughs> that's what i think too <laughs> you'll, you'll know the difference <laughs> like and also from a broader perspective like who cares the aurora borealis yeah. has been photographed so many times you're not doing this to like make the best photograph of the aurora borealis or, or to do it exactly. commercially exactly. you do this to have but fun. when it comes up when it comes up on my frame tv that's hanging in my office i yes. will know that i took the picture yes that's the difference yeah yep. and you'll have like the memory of ah here's here's this trip uh, hanging out with my beautiful wife and uh, you know we stayed at this cool hotel and you know, this is what it looked like when, when we were standing there looking at it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. And I think you getting the better lens would increase your enjoyment of it. I, and that's what it's all about. So <laughs> thanks, either thanks renting it addiction. or the <laughs> renting it, renting it kind of makes sense to me. Uh, yeah. And then just treat it as like a vacation expense. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> the second thing I wanted to ask you about was you said you have a yeah. checklist for all the different things you have to check. Is there not a lot of this, I think, is stuff that you'll need to manually check um that doesn't make sense to have in software but is there not like pre-programmed can you not set up scripts for the camera to have it pre-do everything you needed to do for taking a particular type of shot so so yes sort of um you can absolutely set up custom like so you switch this custom mode and it's already like white balance is turned off and all this stuff mm -hmm. but you still have to do things with the camera you have to make sure your focus is set correctly like you can't do that till you're on site mm. um um you have to, you know, like make sure your, yeah, uh, your shutter uh, time is based on like, so if I'm photographing the Milky Way and the Aurora in the same night, that will significantly change my shutter speed. So I can't really pre-program that in advance. It's also based on like just the conditions at the, at the time. So yeah, you, you can set up some things in advance, but a lot of it's based on the conditions where you are. And so like, you know, yeah, do you have how much ambient light do you have around all this stuff? Hmm. So yeah, you can't set it all up in advance. No. Okay, that makes sense. Neat. I think that was everything on photography and Iceland trip. Oh, you told me right before we recorded this podcast that Llama 2 came out yes. like an hour ago. That's right. Talk, talk, talk to me about that. You told me briefly yeah, about so it, but what, what, AI stuff what's going on? Um, yeah, Llama 2 is the follow-up, Meta's follow-up to Llama 1. Llama 1 was for research only, and it was sort of this limited release kind of thing. Llama 2 is fully open source and commercially available, so you can use it commercially. And the weights are already live on Hugging Face, which means I can download them and use them this afternoon, which I may do. Um, Llama is an LLM. Uh, it has models from 7 to 70 billion parameters. Um, the 70 billion one will probably perform as well as GPT, uh, maybe not quite but with fine-tuning it certainly will and yeah now it's commercially available and you can run it to run the 70 billion one probably you'd have to rent a gpu that's between two and four dollars an hour 
like multiple GPUs probably. Um, but yeah, it's that's doable now for average people and startups. So this is probably the explosion of of commercial uh, LLMs that we were waiting for will come from this. I suspect. I'm uh, so excited. Very George Hotz yeah. had his his take on this whole situation is that if we don't come up with a way. For people to be running these models individually on their own computers, that's going to be a huge problem. If there are these yeah. gatekeepers of Google and, and Apple and whoever else who uh, uh, open AI, who, you know, if, if the only way to use an LLM is going to be through an API, we're going to have problems. But if you can buy a big fancy computer with a big fancy GPU and run an LLM in-house, that's when we're going to get really interesting things. Sort of horrifying from like a sci-fi perspective that we're just giving this incredible tool to, to everybody. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's the way we, we need to go. For your current setup, because you have the big fancy GPUs and the double fancy GPU computers that you got from Newegg, do you know how big of a model you can run uh, of, of the Llama model? Can you run the biggest one? Certainly the 7 billion, so the smallest one I can certainly run. Yeah. Um, I don't know how far up that will be an experiment that I may do. Um, or you can just wait a day and like read all the blog posts about it because um, they will come out for sure. Um, also, there are ways so you can run like the the biggest one in uh, like 16-bit mode instead of 32-bit mode. Like th there are various tricks that people use to make it run on better, like, like run with slightly worse performance or take slightly longer but run on uh, commercially available hardware. So I will wait for those as well. And yeah, just, I don't know yet. Cool. And you said if you're running it on Hugging Face, it's, you can run it on GPUs that you can rent for 2 to $4 an hour? Well, Hugging Face just hosts the weights. I was thinking about downloading the weights from Hugging Face and running it somewhere else. I think you can run it on Hugging Face too. They do have uh, GPUs that you can rent, but I don't know the prices of those but yeah the the gps the gps the gpus i'm thinking of are the h100s or the mm. a100s the h100 is a new one i think that's four dollars an hour the a100s i think you can rent for two dollars an hour um and those are the ones i would look at if you want to run the giant models cool what a time to be alive those price points make a lot of sense for certain use cases that's really cool Neat. And I love that there's competition in, in the ecosystem that OpenAI isn't the only game in town. There's also the stuff from Google, uh, and then there's also the, the open source model. I'm it's I'm surprised that Mark Zuckerberg is coming out of this being the good guy, like <laughs> being the, the knight uh, uh, defending the open source movement. Um, yeah. I yeah, think I like he, that. I think this is their counterbalance to the larger OpenAI models. Like, if they just had a closed source API for Llama 7, 70 billion, first mm -hmm. of all, that's not their their game. That's like not what Facebook is good at. And second of all, they can't compete currently with OpenAI's API. Mm -hmm. So I think this is how they can differentiate themselves. This is how they can get some, you know, brownie points essentially with, with the open source community. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a smart play for him. That makes sense. Yeah. If they can't compete on, like the model is objectively not as good. But they can compete on being more open, which is ironic that they're they're more open than open AI. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it also comes out of their AI division, which has historically been very open source friendly and also slightly separate from the company itself. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, make no mistake, the the open source or the AI division exists to, you know, prop up the the main company. But um, it's always been slightly like a separate thing. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. What do you think their play is? Why are they doing this? Do they actually just want the ecosystem to be better for 
everyone well they're developing it for all the reasons that everyone wants it like uh it's better at stuff like content moderation for sure. example uh facebook is very very interested in that um better at all those things and then since they have it anyway um it is not that much more work to open source it they can also open sourcing ai stuff also uh has the effect that you attract very very talented ai researchers mm -hmm. like otherwise researchers will they, they want to go where they can get their names on papers mm -hmm. and so this is one way to get their names on papers um so yeah by open sourcing it you attract better talent that's a big reason um uh, yeah makes sense okay I'm excited to see how this shakes out. And I'm especially happy that it seems like the pace of all these developments have slowed. I think I said in an <laughs> episode a, a couple months ago that like it's happening too fast. But I feel like, yeah. okay, I, I'm, I've adjusted to this new world of where LLMs are a thing and where I can generate an image based on giving it text and, and even video and do voice cloning. And okay, this is, this is the new, new normal and I've adjusted to it and I've thought of all the different areas of my life where I can apply these new technologies and all right, we're, I'm ready for new stuff. So this, yes, okay, bring it on, bring on Llama 2. I know yeah. what to do with this now. I have, I have spaces <laughs> in my brain where I can put this new information. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Anything else from this last week that you'd like to talk about? I don't think so. Yeah. Hobby stuff, a little bit of AI stuff, bunch of job stuff, getting ready for trips, spending my life this whole summer and will be until the end of the summer. <laughs> the graduate program for ML is on hold for the summer. Yeah. Starts up in the fall again. Yeah. So I haven't signed up for classes yet. There are three I want to take, but I probably can't do three. So I'll probably pick two of the three. That sounds good. I have one, two, three, four, five things I'd like to uh, talk about and get your hot take on. Great. First one is some updates on File Inbox. We'll start off with the bad news, which is that MRR has dipped below 4K a month, which I feel mm -hmm. fine about. I'm not happy about it, but things are happening. I think I had this idea that if I could just talk to the right experts that would tell me what to do, they'd be able to look into my Google Analytics and say, ah, you just need to flip this button in Google Analytics that you had, you know, uh, send me monetizable traffic turned off. You want that turned <laughs> on and now, okay, now your company's growing. Yeah. And it's what I'm, what I'm realizing. Having talked to multiple people who, who know what they're doing, that it's not that simple that like, I think I got really fortunate in the way that File Inbox turned into a company that I, I did the thing that's not supposed to work where you build it and then they come. I, so there's there's a whole bunch of work that I'm now having to backfill of like customer research and figuring out what my marketing plan is and figuring out what my, my go-to-market strategy is. But I can see that path and I, I'm doing the work in that path and it's not as big and scary as I thought it was gonna be. And I can see clearly how that how the work that I'm currently doing can lead to having this engine that I've wanted forever, which is like I can put a dollar in the engine and, and more than a dollar comes out. And that's exciting. And I, f depending on the day, feel a little restless of like, okay, but let's let's make it actually happen. Like customer research is great, but okay, now that I have all this research, what give me some actionable things to do. So I've been working with, uh, uh, I think I've talked about this before, Scott Normore is my like business executive coach in this now. 
which is fantastic. He offered to just do it for free um, it, with the justification that like he might want to uh, invest in this in the future. He, he's had a successful exit and has been mentoring uh, other companies like this. Makes perfect sense to me. That's exactly what I would want to be doing once I have a successful exit from File Inbox or once I just have too much money. Like uh, being in a position of, of mentoring, I think is a, a ton of fun. So he's been giving me fantastic advice. Um, super appreciative of that. And the, the process he has me going through is uh, he, he's he's most curious right now about if it's possible to have a sales pipeline for file inbox so can i have a direct sales like figure out who the customers are he had me write a whole bunch of customer personas of the the top people currently using file inbox of all the personas i wrote the most interesting of those were sign uh not just sign printers printers and loan officers and we're sort of developing this meta persona of the, the sort of person who uses file inbox is a professional who has transient customers it's not like uh so some attorneys use file inbox but it's not like criminal defense attorneys who are going to have six clients in a year and have a, a long back and forth with each one of them because in that case you would just set up a shared dropbox or something it's more transient clients of like every day you have 10 new people coming in who need stuff printed or you're a, a tax accountant and every tax season you have 50 new people coming in uh that you have never seen before that need to send you all their uh, all their documents so it doesn't make sense for you to invest in you know here's here's my thing for each one of them here's how i send files to them you've got a lot of people coming in that need to give you a lot of files so uh of all the personas we did we identified uh printers and loan officers as two of the most interesting personas to be going after so I looked at my existing customers that fit the, those personas and put them all together saying this is the sort of person and uh, worked on coming up with an abstraction of a description of that sort of person. And he sent me some examples and in the examples he sent me, it was, it was down to the level of like, you know, they're this year's, they're uh, uh, this age and this gender yep. and, you know, they like this TV show. I haven't gotten into that level of detail yet but um, it's, it's getting more fleshed out. And then the homework he gave me for last week was try to find more people that fit those personas that aren't in your current uh, uh, profile. And I resisted that work for so long. <laughs> like, I waited <laughs> until probably four hours before our call to like actually sit yeah. down to do it. Uh, I don't know why I was feeling that resistance. I think part of it was just that I haven't done that sort of work before of finding customers like that. And so I sat down and started a palm and with the intention of find as many customers as I can to match this profile. So I'm sitting there thinking, how, how do I find printers? I don't, if I was looking for a printer, I don't know. I'd go on Google Maps and search for a printer. So I did that. And within walking distance of me, like there's one six minutes away. And within all of <laughs> Dallas, there's like a hundred. And so I start going through them thinking, well, not all these are going to fit. And yeah, there's, there's like chains. Alpha graphics is a big chain. And I don't think Alpha Graphics is a customer, but in talking with Scott about that, he was like, well, if you can get Alpha Graphics, now you get all their locations. So that, that might yeah. make sense. That's interesting to pursue. But then also found a whole bunch of these independent ones whose websites, like they look just like the websites of the of the printer uh, customers that I currently have. And I like, it's the same feeling I get from them that it was like a template that they got from a website builder and they don't quite know how the technology behind it works, but they figured something out. And uh, as I was going through showing Scott these websites, he was like, oh, what's, what's that button send files on their website? And I was like, oh, I didn't see that when I was looking at this. But I clicked <laughs> on it and it's this really terrible Google form. And so now I like I have this this lead of, oh, okay, this is very validating that I, I was very easily able to find businesses that fit this category 
and they're using this other solution that I don't think is as good, but I'm curious to see when I talk to them if if there's anything they don't like about it uh, that File Inbox is solving. So yeah, that felt that felt very promising. And then I did the same thing for loan officers, and within a within a 10 minute walk, there's six loan officers of this condo. <laughs> I had no idea. So I think the next step is I'm gonna try to just show up. I scheduled mm-hmm. some time at my calendar tomorrow to just drive around Dallas and go to some of these addresses. And I'm apprehensive about doing this. And I'm sure when I go to the first one and I'm sitting there in my car, like, all right, time to get out and go see if I can talk to someone. I'll probably feel terrified. But the current plan is I'm just going to go. And I'm like, I, I would like to know. I want to I want to curiously know more about their business. So for the for the printer who's currently using the Google Forms with file uploads, I want to know, like, Tell me more about that. What does the full process look like? Is there anything frustrating uh, in that about you? And one of two things may happen. The first is they're like, oh yeah, we use Google Forms and it's great and it's free and we have no problems. Uh, in which case, okay, that's not my customer. And maybe that happens to everyone in, in which case, okay, look, let's look for another lead. But it might happen that when I talk to them, they're like, oh yeah, that's such a pain because something and the something might be we, we can't get the quantity of files. Uh, so, you know, if someone wants one print out of this and four prints out of this, because they really want to hang four of these on their Ikea shelves <laughs> along their house, uh, there's, there's no way to do that. So they have to do it in comments. Or maybe it's, this only works with Google Drive, but we don't like Google Drive and it'd be great if it worked with Dropbox or Box instead. Or it might be something else, I don't know, if they did validation or, or something. But yeah, I feel like that's, it feels like a hot lead. It feels like, okay, there's, I have a process yeah. here of like a way to do stuff that it, it feels good. It feels like I'm on the right track. Um, cool. What are your thoughts on all of it? Yeah. So some thoughts about when you're walking around, which I agree sounds terrifying, but great. Go do it. <laughs> um, I would, uh, a few things that might help. I would stress your local and that you're an entrepreneur. Mm. Um, I think that's important because you're not some sales guy for some big company. Right. You are a local guy just trying to make it right. And that, they as a small printing shop or, or, you know, whatever, they're also probably just a local person trying to make it. And so you will immediately connect on that level. Um, you can absolutely just ask to talk to them right then, but I would also give them the option be like, Oh, you know, or if you're busy, I can, you know, tell me a good time to come back. So make sure you leave that open. Or you can also say, um, or I can just send you an email, um, with, you know, sometimes that might work Mm. or something. So I would give them lots of I guess feel out each situation, but I, I would give them lots of options because small business owners are technically or are, are, are typically extremely busy and you know don't want to deal with anything that won't make them money. Right. <laughs> and so uh, yeah, the more the more options you can uh, give them, the better uh, in order to yeah leave with at least an email address or something like that. Mm. Um, that's what I do because giving an email to a local entrepreneur that they're trying to you know help out is not as big of a deal as sitting down with you for half an hour or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, sounds like a very interesting exercise. I think I would like to frame this also as that I'm buying them something like I'm buying them coffee or I'm buying them lunch because that feels like mm. an easier thing to do. Now I'm now I'm immediately offering something of value to them. How does that feel? Maybe if I maybe I mean you could try it both ways. Okay. If I'm a business owner and someone comes in and offers to buy me lunch, I'm like, oh, great. now I already have lunch bands and I can't do it now and I got to think about whatever. Whereas if you just like, can I t- have five minutes of your time to ask you about whatever? Yeah. That seems like an easier ask. What if it's, I, I what if it's lunch sometime next week and just tell me what a good day would be for me to come back? I'm, 
that feels like a timeshare offer. Like, wh what am I going to have to give you? Because you're giving me lunch. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd I'd like don't think to ask you a few questions about your business, uh, specifically about how you handle receiving files. I'm a local entrepreneur. I'm just, I'm, I noticed a few of my customers were sign printers and uh, so, I'm, I'm trying to learn more see, about See how it goes. That, that sounds like a life insurance pitch. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to be a little down, but yeah, I, 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 would, I would approach this knowing they're going to be extremely skeptical. They're basically going to be like, yeah. like anything that triggers them into thinking that this is a sales call or some kind of pitch okay. is in like giving them something of value actually, I think might trigger that, that response. But I, but I don't know. Okay. I actually have no idea because I've never done that. So maybe that actually really works. Let, let's hammer out what it, what it might look like then. If I walk in and I'm like, Hey, this is kind of weird. I'm not here to, to buy a sign. I'm a local entrepreneur. I make software that handles file transfers. And I noticed a lot of my customers were sign uh, or, or like printing businesses. And I realized I really don't know anything about printing businesses. I live just on the road and I thought like, let me, let me just talk to a few people who have printing businesses to better understand like how they think about files. Uh, is the owner here or, or someone I could talk to to ask a few questions about uh, uh, how, how are you doing that? I'm happy to like buy you lunch or, or coffee or whatever. Uh, but and I'm, I just like to better understand how this business works. That's, I think that's the pitch. Yeah. I was going to say the first thing I'd say is I'm an 18 year old guy who's, who's just running the cashier. I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I would get to the owner or the, uh, yeah, the manager as soon as you can. Um, I don't know. I guess the best thing I can say is just try it. Okay. I mean, you'll like, you'll like get shot down or not. Right? I'll just try it's like, it. It's like, yeah, I have this schedule for tomorrow, so I'll have an update for you on the next episode of how it awesome. went. Okay. Also, if you're worried about this, something I found, which is irrational, but uh, made, makes me feel better for weird things like this, try try it first on like the further out places because then like you're not in your own uh, neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that might feel better. Like you could feel a little more detached. You can still say you're local, right? I'm local to Dallas, but you're That's an hour away. Instead. When I uh, when I started doing my, my dating project before I met Sarah, I was in Cleveland, Ohio, and it was so much easier to date in Cleveland, Ohio, because yeah. I was like, "These, of course, these people are real, but they're not like they're not like <laughs> like I'm not going to bump into them in the supermarket if I like totally embarrass myself." Um, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that might help. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, also, I am sure people have done this and have written about it, blogged about it, or done YouTube videos about it. Mm. So if you want to waste some time uh, this afternoon, maybe read some blogs or uh, look at some videos sure. about how people have done this. Yeah, yeah. or like asking ChatGPT. Yeah, I'll 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 try my I'll try my pitch and then see yeah. how it goes. There's yeah. also yeah, there, there's no substitute for experience. Like you will learn more in doing this three times than you will reading all the blogs. Yeah, I so think so. I think just so. do it. Cool. I will just do it. All right, that was the first thing on file inbox. Uh, second thing, pretty quick, the consulting project that I talked about last week is out. Um, I also talked with the developer who I might be subcontracting it to and asked for his hot take on like roughly how much time it would take him. Um, and he's gonna charge me 15 hour. And his estimates were looking fantastic. Like uh, he he could take two or three times more time to develop it, and it would still leave a, a very comfortable margin for me on the total project. Which uh, yeah, feels really good. And at a higher level, I think I think if I was doing this like I don't know five years ago, I would have felt really weird about. Hold on, what's the value that I'm adding to this situation? How can I justify making this amount of money from doing this? Because all I've done is 
have a conversation with somebody about an app they wanted built and then wrote a document about what the specifications for the app would be and then coordinated someone else building it instead of me. And obviously the only real type of work is building the software. So that, uh, how could I possibly uh, look at myself in the mirror uh, and, and you know be okay with who I am as a person if, if that's what I'm doing? And current me thinks that that's absurd of like, hold on, no, all of those steps <laughs> yeah. have so much value, like being able to uh, empathetically listen and understand to, to what they think it is that they want and how they're describing it and then translate that into not only well, here's what you actually want to build to accomplish those objectives, but also like here's what's feasible and here's chunks of what the minimum uh, uh, necessary features that, that accomplish that goal is and thinking even bigger, here's like the next thing you would want to do of being able to take this app and pitch it to, to someone else to be able to sell it. Like, yeah, all of that's work. And then translating that into into goals that make sense from a software perspective where you're not saying, you know, uh, oh, like the old XKCD comic, build a feature where you can tell if there's a cat in the photo, which right. that joke right. is aged bird, poorly yeah. because now you can do that. But things like that that are that are really yep. hard to do, um, assuming it'll it'll take a small amount of time, like knowing the things that are hard and knowing the things that are easy. Um, yeah, so I feel really good about it. And I sent that contract on Friday and got an email back that said they would review it over the weekend. And it's currently Tuesday and I haven't heard back from them yet, but the contract expires on Friday. So I don't know, I'll probably follow up with them tomorrow, the next day. And I'm feeling yeah. hopeful about it. I think the thing that I'm most curious about is like, did I, did I try to charge them too much? Um, and if you, they you say, almost certainly, go ahead. You almost certainly try to charge them too little. That's my guess without knowing anything that's, about the project. That's my intuition. Usually like that's usually where my, yeah. uh, uh, and initially, I think I was going to charge them too little, and then I had a conversation with our mutual friend Brian Richards, who who sends out this sort of contract frequently, not for contracting jobs, but for uh, WP sessions, for like uh, sponsorships for his virtual conference. And he helped me better understand, like, hold on, you don't want to do it for these numbers because this doesn't yeah. make sense for you. And hold on, from the things that you said in this in this uh, proposal, it's worth so much more to them. So uh, that that bumped up the numbers uh that that made a lot more sense but what i'm curious about and feeling a little self-conscious about is like i could still theoretically be making money on it if i was charging them less uh knowing that i'm going to be outsourcing this to a, another developer or if i outsource it to the developer so if they come back and say all of those prices are too high do like i don't want to come back and say ah exactly the same deal but with lower prices because now I have no boundaries. <laughs> that's that's bad. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm trying to think about like variables that I could change in this to accommodate lower prices. Might be uh, I could bump out the the due date, so it's you're you're not going to get it uh, before the conference where you want to show it off to other people. Um, I could strip away some features and say that you could do it for less for this price. And I'm curious if a dimension that I could do in that is, well, no, same, thinking about that, I, I don't think I want to do that. I was thinking I could do something like, well, what if you just work directly with this subcontractor and then I no, just... Don't do that. Okay, I won't do that. <laughs> I, I have lots of advice and things to say here. Yeah, you want being a contractor for a long time. Um, first of all, I would not underestimate the value of you taking the risk and also the capital, capital risk and, and um, other kinds of risk uh, in these contracts. Mm -hmm. So... As an example, 
you said that this developer may, could take two or three times longer and you would still make money. Uh, what happens when he takes five times longer? Mm. Um, if you do enough of these, that will happen. Mm -hmm. And so that is a risk that you take that they don't want to take. And that's why they're using you as a more expensive professional mm -hmm. so that you can take on the risk. The other one is capital. Presumably you pay this person, the subcontractor more often than the end of the project. Mm. And you only get paid at the end of the project. Which Ooh, doesn't no. sound like a big deal. I structured it to oh, get okay. paid at the beginning. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's great. Okay. Good. Then, then never mind. Okay. Um, but that is often the case, and it is a huge deal for businesses. Cash flow. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how you could structure the deal, if they say it's too expensive, there are many, many ways. I would never say like work with this person directly. You could say stuff like, um, "Well, we have the scope, which is this. I think these things are particularly difficult and make the contract expensive. If we cut the budget by twenty percent, that I can and." But we remove this, you know, sort of superfluous but very expensive uh, in terms of time feature. Mm -hmm. Then that may get you to your budget thing. I've done this in the past and I've cut like half the work and charged 20% less, mm. which is even a better deal for me profit-wise. Um, and they were happier too. Mm. So look for wins like that. Um, An immediate one came to mind, which is if I don't care about getting it on the App Store, that would be a significant amount of less work and they'd still be able to have it on yeah. their phone to, to show it off for the conference they're going yeah. to have and you put something on the app store before yeah okay there's yeah, a review process and yeah, it's, it's a huge pain it, yeah it's a huge pain so yeah i mean that might be half your work there right <laughs> it's just getting on the app store um so yeah absolutely i'll charge you 20 percent less if if i don't have to put yeah. it on the app store that would absolutely. that would realistically that might be half the work <laughs> of just getting it on yep. The, yeah yeah yep okay um yeah the other thing you can do is you can offer discounts for things like um could you be a reference customer and could i write a white paper about this and post it publicly on my website mm. um things that they may want you to do anyway but uh you know and you may actually not care about that very much but it's a way of giving a discount without seeming like you're just giving a discount for nothing mm. like um because it may actually help you to have this as a white paper uh also they may have to think about it a little bit whether they want their name you know tied up with whatever mm -hmm. um and it's not a discount for nothing but it sort of is. Um, so there are things like that you can offer. Um, and then pushing the deadline out is, a, is another one as well. Say it costs this much because I have these other projects. You know, if I push it out a month, then I can get it past these other projects and then I can bring the price down a little. Yeah. Yeah. That's common as well. Okay. So cool. Yeah. Thank you. That feels good. Yeah. That, I, th I think the biggest insight I had there was that I could cut getting it on the app store and I think it would still achieve a lot of what they're trying to do because the main money for them, I think, is going to be reselling this as a template to uh, other people like them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. That is that. I have three more things I want to talk about, and we're running low on time. So let's let's. Uh... Yes, we are. <laughs> yes. I have a meeting in half an hour. I'm, so we, I'm well, gonna. We have only ten. We only have ten minutes left in the recording. Yes. All right. Yes. I'll go for it. I'll talk faster. I guess. Rapid fire. <laughs> I think. I think I'm done with the video clipper. And re re repurp repurpose engine, repurpose slash, engine the slash the video. I didn't even get to change the name. <laughs> okay. And All right. All right. I I'm just having a lot of feelings about it. And I don't know if I'm actually done. The situation I find myself in is like when I, when I started working on the video clipper, I think we probably have an episode about this where I'm talking about how I feel discouraged with file inbox and I want to just work on the video clipper. And you were like, okay, just do that. And I was like, really? I, I, you mean it? I, I can just work on the video cover? And you were like, yeah, do it. And I did it and spent a ton of time, ton of time in it. And 
came up with some beautiful solutions to these problems of like web-based video uh, uh, processing and editing and encoding and AI stuff of finding interesting clips that, that was not on the original specification and like I figured out a, a beautiful way to do that. And there exist products right now that I can use that are more functional than the thing that I built is. And that's kind of taken the wind out of my sails of like, I don't, I don't really feel like I have an insight that's deeper than what these people are doing. I could, I can like find one. I've had a lot of conversations with people in this and done a lot of customer research. And I feel like I understand the overall job to be done of this pretty well, that it's not just about finding interesting clips. It's about you're trying to repurpose this bigger thing. And I think I have an opinion about a particular market segment that I, that I, I'm particularly interested in helping. It's the sort of person who has uh, longer form video content, who uh, is a creator, who is part-time trying to become full-time. They don't have a full production studio yet. So they're, they're looking for ways to repurpose stuff without, uh, without hiring a full-time person or, or a, a part-time person, or maybe like looking for tools to, to enable that person to be more effective. So people who aren't hiring a content studio, but uh, still want the same sort of output from that. And they're not just interested in uh, making short clips. They're more interested in like, uh, they're, they're also interested in what are some cool tweets that I could get from this episode or what are some cool uh, Instagram posts or quotes that I could get from it or what are some interesting blog posts or uh, email newsletters that I could put out. So like I have all that, but I don't feel like, especially seeing where file inbox is of what the actual hard part is. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not totally decided on this. I think like a possible way forward with this would be that I strip down just, uh, you know, probably in two more weeks of focused work with a, with a really defined goal of like, here's the place I'm trying to get to. I think I could ship something that's useful, that works, that, that solves that job for, for the sort of person that I'm describing that I wanted to solve it for. And then I have some ideas of some possible go-to-market strategies of like, I could loop through all the public podcasts and I could, uh, repurpose their most recent episode and I could email it to them and say, Hey, here's some media that my app made automatically for you. Uh, here's the page to go to it. And when they go to the page, it's repurposeengine.com and it shows them the stuff they could do. And then when they try to download videos, it says you need to sign up for an account and they get that first one for free, but then they need to pay for minutes of, of processing other videos. Um, that, that would be the, the strategy. And I don't know if that would work. And right now I'm kind of neck deep in file inbox stuff. So I don't know, this might just be, this might just be a mood I'm in right now. Like I, I felt totally, I felt <laughs> yeah. exactly the same as how I feel about repurpose engine about file inbox, like, I don't know, four months ago. So maybe this is just the TikTok strategy of like, I need to wait until I'm frustrated with file inbox and then go back to this. But that's the current, that's the current state that I'm in. What, what, what's your take on this? Uh, my take is that you told me to buy the lens and in the same vein, I'm going to tell you to just ignore file or just ignore repurpose engine for now. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, uh, m meaning, uh, it sounds great and may possibly work, but it may also be a bad idea. I, I, I don't know. Um, okay. you are currently excited about file inbox again. Yes. So sure. Go full force there. Try to get it back above your 4k, uh, MRR number. That's fine. Um, it seems like you are further away with repurpose engine than, for, for revenue, I mean, 
you know, then you are obviously file inbox is making money, but, um, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know if I'm the best person to, uh, to, to give you the best advice here. It sounds like the, the thing to do right now is to set it aside and work on file inbox while you're excited about that. Um, yeah. See what happens. Okay. I, I have no answers is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Neither do I, but okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm setting it down for now. I'm just going to let it, okay. let it marinate for a little bit. Yeah. It's been interesting to me in talking with both Asia and Scott, I kind of gave them an overview of, oh, and I had a, an onboarding call with a extremely expensive business coach. Uh, so all three of them, I gave them this overview of like, here's all the different things in my work life right now. Uh, all three of them narrowed in on file inbox as the most promising thing to push forward which is interesting started making money right yeah it's like it's about growing it it's not about starting it so yeah maybe this like this might not even be a problem this what (laughs) what i might be describing is like there are so many good things in my life and file inbox i realize is even better than i thought it was right so yeah that's that's currently the the state that i'm in um okay an option on the table that i'm kind of toying around with is uh, I could sell what I currently, I could try to sell what I, what I currently built to one of these other companies. Um, the guys who did subtitle, uh, expressed interest in like, it'd be cool to bring you on as like some fresh blood in this project. And that's, that's a thing making like a ton of money. That's a legitimate yeah. company with multiple employees. Um, and I've figured out yeah, some so- things that they are like the direction that they want to move in, like the AI stuff. Uh, that'd be a, that'd be a way to exit from that project yeah if you want to do that what i was going to suggest is you could turn this into you're doing more consulting turn it into consulting like consulting yeah if you're going to give up i don't want to use the word give up if you're going to set aside repurpose engine yes. and focus on filing box i think the way to make the most money out of your experience is do a quarter or half-time consulting gig until your baby's born yeah um and potentially even longer like working quarter time consulting is like zero basically <laughs> like so, so so you know it's it's great yeah um yeah and, and you can charge whatever you're going to charge double it and, and because you've already done it before yeah. and uh offer that yeah you could probably make more than you could selling repurpose engine yeah from a consulting gig for a few months okay i'll 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 push that forward at the same time yeah and mull that over yeah what i'm particularly curious about is like would it make sense <laughs> it's valuable to me to have the option of at any point in the future when I feel some renewed enthusiasm or, or have some clear vision of what this thing is going to be that I could pick it back up and do it. So I'm curious from a company like subtitles perspective, would they want to sign some sort of agreement with me of like, I can't build a competitor to this thing. Um, if it's going to be, the if same you let them space. write the contract, then they will absolutely write that into the contract, yeah. but contracts are, extremely negotiable okay so if you if you write the contract and make sure you know tell your lawyer to make sure that there's something in there that you can still work on your thing yeah um then and and if you push on that then they will probably sign that yeah like okay yeah yeah and like if they really want that clause in there that's you know that's clearly valuable to them so okay (laughs) we can negotiate on that like give me more money and i I can uh, uh have that clause in there yeah that's right. That's when you say, how about the option of actually purposing repurpose engine and then put a high price on it right? Um, more than it's worth because then at that point it's a strategic acquisition. Yes. So MRR doesn't factor in at all. Yeah. Uh, 
make up a price and uh yeah that'd be fun okay cool all right all right i'm, I'm in a good place with that uh two quick things the first one my weight loss project is back on track after Montreal. I didn't talk about this last week, but I, I felt kind of discouraged after I got back from Montreal that I had uh, gained weight. I, I dropped below 180 for the first time in like possibly years. I, I weighed less than 180 pounds. It was so nice to see that seven there. I felt so excited and, and encouraged. And then I think the day after we flew to Montreal and we're on vacation and in vacation mode and all of the places that my wife's father wanted to go to, my father-in-law, were like pastry places or like, oh, this is the best baguette you've ever had in your life. And I'm, well, I got to try the yep. baguette um, and, and croissants and like all kinds of stuff. And carbs in particular, I've noticed from my body, like that's what gets me to gain weight the most. And it was sugary carbs, which for me is even worse. So I knew midway through the trip, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling way heavier. <laughs> like I'm, I'm at 185 at least. And then when I got back, I was like, oh man, I might be back at 190. Like totally just erased all the progress I just made. And uh, I was at like 184, 185, and that felt bad. And I'm back on track now. I'm almost back under 180, which feels good. But I've, I've come up with a few more systems to like get this back in place. And I think if I just follow these systems, I can I can ride these systems all the way down to to 170 where my goal is. The first system is intermittent fasting for an eight hour window. So uh, I I've noticed. That if I'm hungry just... before bed, I sleep very poorly. So I need to I need to feel full when I go to bed. So working backwards from there, I want to be able to have some sort of food at like 10 p.m. So eight hours before that is 2 p.m. So I first first rule that encompasses all of that stuff is uh, I can't start eating until 2 p.m. And that's actually pretty easy because like I feel hungry. I feel very hungry right now. Uh, it's about an hour, 20 minutes until 2 p.m. But uh, like not eating, not like it's not doing something. How it's so complicated to eat. You got to like walk to a particular place and you got to open up stuff in a complicated way and you got to choose what you're going to eat and you got to heat it up in a comp. Like it's work. It's and the only thing I have to do is to not do that work until 2 p.m. And then I can do that work. So that, that's the first thing. And then I've noticed also when I'm eating in, in a more, uh, in a, in a smaller window, it's much harder to overeat because as soon as I have a meal, I'm like, oh, I feel full, even though the meal might only be 500 calories. Um, and I think I have a budget of something like 1500 calories to, to be losing a pound a week. Um, so then like, you know, I, I, I only have to not eat until 2 PM and then basically for the rest of the day, I can eat as much as I want and still stay under the, the 1500 calories. And all the food available to me is like good food. I'm, I don't have Doritos around or something. Uh, so that's that's the first uh, system that's been working really well with this. The second interesting system is to get a little boost. And I totally recognize that this is not necessary, but also this, this plays into other goals that I have. Uh, it, you can do cardio, which just like burns a little extra calories so you can eat a little bit more. It's so much more effective just to not eat those calories because to burn 100 calories like on an exercise bike, you gotta be biking at a pretty serious intensity for like 10 or 15 minutes. And to eat 100 calories is a tablespoon of mayonnaise. <laughs> and I could eat a tablespoon of mayonnaise in like five seconds. I love mayonnaise. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the like cardio cardio i recognize just from a number standpoint isn't the most effective way to be losing weight but uh also has a lot to do with cardiovascular health and, and other goals and, like i feel better on it so uh i'm trying to find new interesting ways to do cardio 
Uh, one of those that I think is going to be pretty sustainable for the rest of my life is going on walks. I love going on walks. Uh, I, I love sort of framing it as photo hunting that I'm walking around trying to find cool pictures. And then every walk, I've got like four really cool pictures that I can now print out and uh, glue onto this oh foam board. Oh, map board. Yes, that. <laughs> um, and uh, display around my house. Like that's kind of cool. And uh, it's low intensity and I can also listen to audiobooks. And uh, it's blazingly hot in Texas right now. But if I do it like uh, after working when the sun starts to set, it's, it's not as bad. And yesterday I found a fantastic way to I like I was sweating and I, I had a, this stupid smile on my face and I was doing this this activity for like 20 minutes and it's playing this VR game called Thrill of the Fight where you're in this virtual boxing ring just beating the crap out of this virtual guy <laughs> and they give you new challenges and like there's a it like it feels dangerous it is, but it's <laughs> it's like VR it's not actually but like he's got this mean look on his face and you can just you can just wallop him and, and like they get bruised in the places where you're punching him and it's so much more engaging to me than i was doing this uh uh vr boxing thing designed specifically for cardio called uh supernatural and i sweat more playing thrill of the fight than i have in like the most intense workouts in supernatural and also just more of me was engaged because <laughs> it's not it's not like oh punch the floating things as they float to you it's like no there's this guy and if you don't punch him <laughs> he's gonna punch you <laughs> and you got like you're not holding your arms up because the game's gonna yell at you for putting your arms down you're holding your arms up because he's gonna punch you in the face if your arms aren't up <laughs> so i loved it i it i think i think i played it for like half an hour 45 minutes last night and i was just i, I was i was sweating buckets and just my heart rate was super high and it burned something like two or three hundred calories and yeah so i i highly recommend thrill of the fight uh it's it's a great vr game great i wrote it down i will check it out cool um i also went on vacation and gained back a bunch of weight so i i have stabilized again but i'm not dropping uh whereabouts go visit my sister-in-law so i'm sure that will also be another weight gaining event and then i'll be i'll be back on it with you after that okay sounds good <laughs> uh last thing i have a friend from college who is wanting to switch careers into tech and he was talking about how he's trying to save up money to do one of these coding boot camps and i was like coding boot camp what, what are they going to teach you there i i could teach you all that for free just <laughs> let's have weekly calls and i'll i'll tell you like what youtube videos to watch and what things to do so so far he's been going through the crash course uh computer science curriculum and has been really liking that. That goes into more of the fundamentals. He, he's the sort of guy who likes learning things from first principles. So I think going back and establishing a foundation of like, this isn't magic, this like, yes, computers use zero and ones, but what does that mean? Um, talking more about registers and CPUs and, and the history of computing and uh, all the way back to like abacuses. Um, so he's loving that. And then also there's a game uh, called Human Resource Machine that I remember playing right after college when I had just taken a course on assembly language programming. And as I was playing through the game, I remember having the thought, this is so much better than the course that I took. And the course took a semester and it was bad and not fun. And I'm playing <laughs> a game here and this is super fun. And I'm doing all the same stuff. I'm like writing assembly code to sort an array, but it feels like this fun game so i i assign that to homework for him too and i've just kind of enjoyed like thinking about this problem of how might i how might i walk someone through a computer science curriculum with the goal of i i, I 
worth it with him to try to figure out what what's the goal that we're aiming towards and i think a goal that works for both of us is i want to get him to the point where i could be subcontracting at work to him so like leading him towards this react web development uh firebase stack um which he loves and i've, I've been trying to think like okay how do i take someone from zero like uh someone who's who's uh, very bright and very self-motivated and, and likes to learn things from first principles. Um, how, do, how do I lead them from that position to being able to subcontract to them? And that's been a really fun problem. And uh, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm making my own little tiny university. Uh, and I just wanted to tell cool. you about it. Yeah. That's great. That's very interesting. Excited to see how that turns out. I, I do think coding boot camps provide a couple of things that depending on the person can be helps or hindrances. One is a cohort of people, like other beginners mm -hmm. that you're doing it with. Um, some people get very lonely just learning things on their own. So I don't know how you could provide that to him, but that's something he might be missing. Um, the other is that when you pay money for something, you actually stick to it mm -hmm. uh, sometimes. Um, so hopefully the accountability to you is sort of a substitute for that. Like he knows he's going to be on a call with you, so he better get this stuff done. Mm -hmm. um, so just make, you know, make him accountable in that way, I think, as well. And then the other thing they do is they really push your own projects as fast as possible, which I think is important. Mm. Like it's one thing learning things from a class, but like doing it on your own for your own, you know, self-interested project is very different. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would push that too. But otherwise, sounds very interesting. I could do a cohort. I don't know how much time I want to devote to this. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, during COVID, I launched uh, Genco School with the intention of yeah. having like my own coding course to take people from uh, the, the same sort of path. And I've had like, I don't know, 50 people sign up for that. I could probably just hit that email list and be like, hey, um, I know I kind of dropped the ball in this coding course, but if you want to do this <laughs> new thing I'm doing, uh, you could be part of my first cohort of like, I don't know what this is, but like mentorship in bringing people through it. Um, yeah. And then, and then my friend could have... <laughs> friends who he's doing this with it, you could but i would think hard about how much time that's going to take before yeah. you do it in addition to all the other stuff you're trying to do that's something i'm going to keep in mind and i think for now i'm just yeah. going to keep it to like i'm you know for me right now the time commitment is a, a half hour call with him once a week uh yeah. just getting the keep it like, and keep it like that yeah. okay yeah. okay that's what i'll do chris that's all i got that's all i got too then i will see you next week goodbye